Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of Jacked Radio. Today, I spoke to my good friend and coach, Alexander Clark. I met Alex probably near enough nine months ago now, I think, maybe coming up to a year at my second ever meet because he was coaching my friend uh, Sarah Tyndale, who I work with at Pioneer Performance. And we got chatting and we got on really well. And um, what eventually happened was I asked Alex to coach me in my nutrition. So Alex has been helping me for the last six months now, uh, gaining weight and making sure that I'm supporting my training performance with the nutrition that I need for powerlifting. But what I really wanted to get out of this podcast was not Alex's nutrition knowledge, which is exceptional, but talk to him more about his own personal story because I think it's really interesting and I think Alex has got some really, really good things to say about his experience of bodybuilding, of powerlifting and of all the kind of things that he's encountered and experienced along the way. So what we got into was what first got Alex into lifting to start with, the kind of motivations of that to begin with, what it was like going through bodybuilding and then making the transition into powerlifting, what were some of the motivations behind that, what some of the challenges Alex has faced in powerlifting and how he's overcome them, so some high points and low points, and also talking about some of the risks in powerlifting. And that included being very open about performance-enhancing drugs because Alex competes in untested powerlifting. So for those that don't know, in powerlifting you have tested federations where you are tested for PEDs. You have untested federations where you aren't tested for PEDs. So I was very grateful that Alex was extremely open about his experience there and very honest with what he said. Then we ended the conversation with talking about what moti- what motivates him the most and some of the biggest lessons he's learned from powerlifting. Now I really enjoy this as I enjoy all of the chats that I have with my guests but especially because we got to talk shop about powerlifting so for anyone who's thinking about powerlifting or just thinking about getting more into lifting weights I think Alex has got some really good points that anyone can take home not just powerlifters or bodybuilders about how lifting has taught him things and the kind of lessons that he's learned from it as well so please enjoy episode number five with alexander clark so first off um thanks for taking the time to come on man it's uh, it's really good to have you on the podcast and no problem at all i've been, I've been looking forward to it to be honest well, i'm glad and just to start with for those who um you know maybe haven't heard of you before could you tell us a little bit about yourself um your coaching and british strength magazine slash british strength radio yeah, sure. So in terms of me, I'm a powerlifter. Uh, I've competed in powerlifting for the last six years now. Um, before that, I competed in bodybuilding, again, for six years, but I was involved in it for eight. So I guess you could say I've been involved in uh, strength sports for uh, like 14 years. It's been more like 15, though, because I remember I started taking everything seriously when I was 15. Um, powerlifting wise, I, in terms of what I've won, in terms of what I've done, uh, my best lifts are, um, Bernie squat 310, um, wrapped squat 335, bench press, uh, 227.5, which is 501 pounds. Um, that's, uh, 
yeah, raw, obviously, um, and deadlift three eighty five raw. Uh, so best total ever has been uh, nine hundred and twenty uh, Bernese, and that's in the one two five class. Oh, wait, I don't like one two four. Um, in terms of my coaching. Um, I've always done some type of, uh, personal training or, um, you know, kind of, kind of coaching when I was bodybuilding, it was more personal training, although I did used to get people ready for comps and stuff. Had a couple of, uh, at least a couple of successful clients in that way. Um, but a lot of it was just people wanting to shape up kind of stuff like that. I never got, became super successful in terms of the personal training thing. Um, I don't know what kind of premise this this podcast that you're doing um is kind of from what the premise of it is in terms of like is it a personal training podcast or um it, to be honest it's more to kind of share people's stories so it's less um less specific on the personal training side of things and more oh, okay. so just right, you know okay. people have got um interesting stories to tell through health and fitness Right. Okay. Cause I, I thought with you being a pretty successful PT yourself, well, you make your money that way anyway. Um, that, yeah. So I, I never, I never excelled in terms of training people in person. It was never enough to make a living, uh, for me. Um, and, uh, basically going on from that, um, I did a little tiny bit of online work with some people, um, when I moved to the Northeast, which is how we met, obviously. Yeah. Um, it was always a little bit in the background. Um, and I ended up becoming a manager, quote unquote manager, basically someone who just worked behind the counter, really. Uh, a gym which was at the time called Pro Performance in Newcastle in Long Benson. Um, I, know, I know Pro Performance. Yeah. Have you been a couple of times? I don't think I've been there, but I've uh, a lot of my friends have been there. Yeah, I mean, it's changed its name about fucking six times since it was called <laughs> that. It's been taken over by new people and new people yeah. anyway. Um, I got a job there uh, very, very, very start of 2017. Moved up, my girlfriend was pregnant with our son, Logan. Um, and I, I was PTing people as well as, you know, being the quote-unquote manager there, just a guy who worked behind the desk. And <clears throat> I... Uh, yeah, basically what happened was we all became, we all got made redundant from that gym. Right. Um, all of us. Um, so after a while as well, uh, the PT clients I had didn't like the gym anymore. Um, so a couple of them left. So my income became just kind of like, just disappeared really. Um so from that, I had like, again, I had like a little lingering bit of online work and I, our son had just been born. So I was like, right, okay, I'm going to have to do something. Got my SIA license, something which I've been debating doing for years. Um, and ended up doing site security. Uh, did a little bit of door work. Um, basically I probably would have carried that on cause I did quite enjoy it. Um, but my, uh, have scoliosis on my back from standing up like it kills like right. really really kills i was doing like four hour shifts in durham just to get by um you know just to get a little bit of money to get by and even then it just wasn't suiting me so the site security was great would it be better if i t turn like my main light on because I, I look at my screen it's very dark um yeah if you'd like I mean, it's only I've got, I've got this lovely side very light. bright is that any better 
I can I can clearly see the the lovely wallpaper behind you now. Oh my god, I so need to change that. It does my <laughs> head in. Um, it was it's been like that, that since we got here. But I'm not the best handyman or DIY person. Or, you know, I'd be capable, but I'm just not the best at getting around to it. I suppose I'm, I'm just basically I'm a lazy bastard. Um, <laughs> and everything I make a mountain out of a molehill. Um, apart from if it's training, I'll do that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, um, I ended up getting my SA license and the great thing about site security, like I said, was you go out on patrols, sure, but then half the time you just sat there right, doing nothing or whatever you want to do. You know what I mean? You can, if you want to run a business on the side, you can do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, um, it really started when I think I was still prepping a guy called David online for his shows. Um, and then... Uh, girl called Amanda Hillary got in touch um, and she asked if I did nutrition for powerlifter. I said, I'm more than capable, yeah. Um, at the time, I didn't do any specific nutrition for powerlifters, um, but started doing it. And uh, she started telling her friends, like, you know, she was you know happy with the service and whatnot. And then more people started coming to me. Um, one of the first guys who came to me for programming was um, Ian Humphreys. Uh, he's a master's lifter. He squatted two. Uh, I'm going to put. I'm not going to butcher this. Squatted two eighty five at eighty two kilos in the um, in the masters two category. I think he was forty seven at the time. Yeah. So he was a good lifter. Um, and yeah, uh, then I just started getting more and more clients from there. And I'm kind of telling you my life story here, but I suppose that's no, good, man, more, isn't it? Um, so I ended up doing this site security for like two years all the while building up the uh the online coach and the online you know nutrition and both programming mm -hmm. um and uh eventually you know i was doing the magazine as well but i'll, I'll get onto that in a minute because you don't ask me that third um eventually i wanted to move back to manchester i just really wanted to move back to manchester or more specifically lancashire um which is where i am now um and i ended up uh, just applying for a job in the airport and uh, moved down here, did the training. Uh, the training lasts three weeks. Um, and it was really, it was security, but it was really, really, really boring. Okay. Um, and a lot of it, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I, my plan was just to pass the training and then end up doing the job, which would have been less tedious. Because one of my friends had previously done the job and he said it's, it's kind of all right, you know. Um, and uh, the, the training was just so fucking boring. And, uh, you know, I, I nodded off a couple of times in the classes, honestly. Like, because I was I was sleep depriving myself as well, not on purpose, but just because there were 5 a.m. starts and kind of commuting home and getting my training done and prepping my meals and stuff the next day. It was just uh, quite a, a long ordeal to end up getting all the sleep that I wanted to get you know um yeah. i've never been an early to bed kind of guy so yeah i was super sleep deprived i, I got fucking discipline there for just for things um and uh i ended up um failing the exam like you get three goes at, at passing it i remember the last time going into the exam thinking i don't really care yeah to be honest um i mean obviously i should have cared because this is my job like i'm supporting um you know, my son uh, and stuff like that, providing for him. 
and I thought, I care about providing for him, but this fucking job, I don't even want it, I don't even want to pass the course. Anyway, so I failed I failed all three times, all three attempts by something ridiculous, like it was like 1%, um, because it's quite a hard one to pass, and it relies on your um, skills of basically being able to perceive things on images. Right. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it was it's basically looking at X-rays, X-ray recognition. Anyway, so failed that three times, and then um, I remember on the day on the day you fail, you get they call it exited from the business, and I got exited from the business then, and they said, oh, you can apply for other roles within the company. I was like, okay, whatever, you know, car park warden or whatever. So I was like, right, okay, I'll go to the IT room that they had and apply for car park warden. There was nothing there, so I thought at that very moment, I thought, you know what, fuck it, I. Do not. I'm working for myself. This. I'm wasting my time doing things that I don't want to do. Site security. As much as I do have some good memories of it, because pretty cool. You get put on like these derelict sites, and you you know you know what I mean. You're on your own. You can do whatever the fuck you want to an extent, apart from the night shifts where you're walking around in the freezing cold and stuff, and you just so badly just want to go to sleep. Um, I do have good memories of it, but I at some point you have to do what you want to do in life um i just don't i couldn't see any point wasting anymore so um i ended up getting on the phone on my way home i didn't tell my girlfriend what happened because i didn't want anyone to panic i didn't tell my parents what happened i ended up getting on the phone to this woman who you know through the group chat um that we have client chat samantha bramley um so sam bramley is uh she's she's a powerlifter she's um she's pretty good you know she's getting better uh she's not been powerlifting for ages um and uh, she's also like an entrepreneur so to speak she's got her own business and she's really passionate about having her own business that's one thing and i just got on the phone to her for an hour and just kind of made like a little mini plan um and then just started pushing the coaching in the magazine more uh I'll tell you about the magazine so Back in 2016, 2015, in fact, um, again, I was personal training and I wanted to start making some like money because I just felt like such a fucking loser, like a bum, you know what I mean? Um, because it, and I wanted to be successful at something. I wanted to do something different though, because I knew that uh, PTing people in person wasn't my forte. Um, so... I'd really enjoyed writing because I did a lot of blogging at the time, you know, to, to fill the time and, and just, just kind of put thoughts out there, express them. And a lot of the blogs were based around powerlifting. Um, so I wanted to write for a magazine. So I thought to myself, okay, what I'll do is I'll get in contact with Mark Bell's Power Magazine in the States. I got into contact with the editor. I got as far as that. Um, and uh, I was going to pitch the idea of writing a column which um, which kind of catered for, for British people. I like, you know, an update on what's happening in the UK, which I think they might have gone for, you never know. Um, but then I uh, ended up, it was funny actually the way it happened. I was covering a shift at Olympic Gym uh, in Manchester for Paul and Tanya, my good friends. Um, and the gym opened at nine and I lived in Bolton at the time. Now Bolton, to Olympic Gym is kind of a bit of a crap commute. 
special in rush hour. Gave myself an hour and 15 minutes to get there. Normally, it's a 20-minute drive. Anyway, so I, I put it in the, in the Google Maps, but on the way, I realized like the traffic just started suddenly mounting up. You know, when it tells you that you'll be there in 40 minutes and then it grabbed the minutes just add up and add up and add up. And then your heart rate just starts going up and up and up. And I thought to myself, shit, there are going to be so many people just waiting outside the door. And I had to ring this guy called Gaz. Um, and like he, you know, he, he loves to talk and stuff and he, he doesn't mind opening up and whatnot. I said, Gaz, can you just open up for me? I'm not going to be that much late. So I expected to open up, him to open up and I just take over from him. Anyway, he, he does love to talk. Um, and he ended up chatting to me for five hours, right? Um, but within this five-hour chat, that I was becoming increasingly like uh, maybe needed a break from. Um, he... Uh, I just remember thinking to myself, he was like, oh, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, oh, well, I'm thinking about messaging this person, you know, getting some starting, getting a start in writing. Um, and then I just thought, you know what, fuck it. I, I was speaking to him. I didn't say it to him, but like, I just, a smile came over my face because I thought to myself, I'm just going to start my own magazine. Um, and that's basically how I started British Strength Magazine. Um, I did it for free for like two years. Um, and it's, it's more of something I think that people, um, like and appreciate than it is a living for me at the moment, mm -hmm. but it provides some living, you know, it's, but it's like half of what I do, you know, that and the coaching is what I do, but that's, that's how it started. And, um, I think it will go on to be you know to become a much much bigger thing gradually over time uh, i don't think it's like uh just going to be some huge explosion of popularity or whatever i'm just gonna have to keep working on it but yeah i've always wanted to do what i want to do do you know what i mean and yeah. uh make a living make a, a lifestyle out of it more um whichever way whichever way i have to you know what i mean as long as i'm not working for someone else as long as I'm doing what I want to do, you know? And that's pretty much a summary of what I do. Okay. I think it's um, probably very similar with a lot of self-employed people when you get to that point where I've certainly, in, um, in jobs in the past where I've had that, why, why am I even doing this sort of moment? And then you sort of, the penny drops and you realize that you, you could make something out of, you know, something that you actually love doing. So then that's, that's really cool to hear. Um, let's let's get on to when you started lifting so you said you were in bodybuilding for eight years was it or six yeah years um if, if I, I think that, that was just like a quick estimate from me um let's see right i started bodybuilding seriously 15 mm -hmm. um and then i did my last comp page 22 so that's seven that is seven years okay. but i then carried on for two years in an off season Technically, I would say it was nine years, but I competed for a duration of 16 to 22. So that's six years. Nine years bodybuilding, six years competing. Sweet. What, what was the thing that first got you into lifting? First got me into it. Uh, <laughs> told, this, told this story on, on my podcast, but not everyone's going to listen to that. So I'll tell it again. Tanya interviewed you, didn't she? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So I was in the cinema. Um, friends i was hanging out with when i was like 13 and you ever seen the vin diesel movie triple x yes 
Yeah, so I can't even remember whether or not he's jacked in that movie. It, like, he might just be like a slightly above average guy. But when you're 13, you look and you think, fucking hell. Yeah. Pro bodybuilder. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, at, at one point, you know, he, he's in a room with this woman, isn't he? Uh, this, uh, this, like some Eastern European woman. Um, and he takes his top off. And her reaction to him taking his top off and all the other girls gasping in the cinema made me think, right, okay, I like girls, and this seems to be the way that I'm going to get some. Yeah. Um, and then I just, literally, I was at the gym the next morning before it opened um, because I wanted to start, to start kind of like building my physique and stuff because, you know, as I think as a 13-year-old as well, you look at men and you think they're all bigger than me. I want to be a man. Do you know what I mean? That's like all you ever want to be as a boy, isn't it? You just want to be, you know, um, you, you you don't want the older kids at school to have an advantage on you and things like that. Um, so it seemed like really that the path to everything. Um, so yeah, I started training when I was 13, but it was very on and off. Um, a lot of people would say like, oh, it stumped my growth. And I was like five foot six at the time. So I was like, oh shit, I don't want to be five foot six for the rest of my life. Um, we know this isn't the case though. Yeah. Um, that it, that it stunts your growth. It doesn't, unless, uh, from what I've heard anyway, what I was taught, you, you damage your growth plate and that's, you could do that doing anything. Um, so yeah, uh, it's kind of on and off when I was 13. Um, and then when I got to 15, I think the way I got into it was really, um, I was inspired by, uh, again, like I said, on my podcast, uh, I was inspired by you, some of the UFC fighters actually, um, like the one in particular, Ken Shamrock at the time, he, I remember him having a decent physique yeah. and they were like, oh, you can bench, you know, 400 pounds, he weighs 220. And like, it just kind of like set the cogs going in my head, like, um, that I wanted to, I just wanted to start powerlifting, um, but I couldn't find any information on it. Right. Um, so I went to Waterstones, saw a book on bodybuilding by Arnold. It was like, it was his smaller book. It was a, education of a bodybuilder it was called um and i devoured that book in like two nights after school you know two evenings after school and at that point i actually looked at i looked at the pictures and i thought right this is what i want to do i want to become a professional bodybuilder that became my goal then i didn't really know what it entailed uh because you know when you read about the 70s bodybuilders which is what you know arnold was displaying in that book because it was a book from the 70s um it's very 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 diff different to what it's like today yeah. um but yeah that's what i wanted to do um i can recall always wanting to do some type of athletic pursuit and be very 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 good at it um so yeah i uh that, that's what got me into it i went to a gym called blakely health studio uh, at the start which was a, a martial arts place where i had done some kickboxing when i was a kid but it had a weights gym you know, at the top, uh, very top. Um, and then I ended up going to a gym further down the line called Silvers in Berry, where I went to school. And uh, Silvers was, you know, it had had a few bodybuilders come, you know, from it in the past, some really good bodybuilders in the 90s especially. Um, and yeah, and I think um, that was like February 2015 when I started training really hard. And I just, I became very dedicated very quickly. Um didn't really look back from that point um, and then competed around the same time the following year, something like February, March, uh, in a local bodybuilding show. Um, just called the, uh, it's called Pendle Valley. There's an area around here. Um, 
And the interesting thing is, do you know of uh, IFBB Pro Nathan Diasha? Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah, you probably follow him on Instagram. Uh, he came first in the junior category. I came third. It was out of six really? guys. So we both did the same fucking show to start off with. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like the a bit of the kind of claim to fame. To be fair, and um, I competed. To be fair, I competed again uh, alongside a lot of guys who are like known now in the UK. Um, JP competed against him. Yeah, you know, trained by JP. I mm-hmm. competed against him. Uh, James Hollingshead. Um, yeah, been beaten by him too. <laughs> he's an absolute um, monster, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's huge now. He's absolutely huge. Um, but yeah, had a had a good time in bodybuilding i suppose yeah um even though it's not what i ended up doing eventually so what was the transition like um from to powerlifting was there yeah uh, kicked it off for you so basically i had i would say just over a year um after the last british finals that i did uh 2012 were the british finals in uh, in manchester uh, and it was at the uh, event city where they now have tattooed and strong oh, yeah. funnily enough um and it was all held there and it was a big expo and they brought the the what was called the british grand prix back which used to be a really big thing um but it never became what it was again um so i did the last one there and i actually went back to the juniors because they changed the juniors classification. I'd done the uh, intermediates, the men's intermediates mm-hmm. the year before. I was only like 21. I think I did the juniors at 22 the very last year and I failed to place, didn't um, didn't prep myself the best way. I mean, I looked decent, but I just wasn't conditioned enough. Uh, I didn't place and um, I'd had a year and I was completely off PDs for the whole year. Um, just wanted to get some you know, hormonal balance back. I wanted yeah. to get over this like nagging thing in my shoulder which to be fair i still got but it's not as affected in powerlifting i've managed to put 155 to 225 45 25 um i always make myself sound stupid when i try to do maths in public (laughs) right um so basically (laughs) 70 70 72 and a half kilos right on my bench um so it's you know what i mean it, it didn't affect me too badly um but in bodybuilding yeah so in bodybuilding though it was just a pain in the ass right. so i had all this time off and um one of my friends said to me um he said why don't you just fuck all this trying to get the perfect contraction stuff which i was massively into mm-hmm. stop using lightweights and just just start using some heavier weights i like like just just try and you might put some size on you and he wasn't like a bodybuilder and a fish yarnado or anything, but I thought, you know what, I'll give it a try. Nothing to lose. So I went to a woman called Tanya George, who co-owns Olympic Gym with Paul George. Uh, Paul George, IFBB Pro Bodybuilder, Tanya, first woman in the UK to a total of 500 kilos uh, raw. Um, <clears throat> so she was well into the powerlifting scene at the time. Um, and I just I said, like, you know, can, can you give me some coaching? um just to get me into like some of the basic lifts and it was only the squat and the deadlift at the time because i was petrified of tearing my pec right. like all the bodybuilders are i didn't want to go over to powerlifting i wanted to be a, just be a stronger bodybuilder um so yeah we uh i didn't i didn't have any money so i pt'd one of her clients when she couldn't make it and she coached me and um gave me some tips and pointers um in you know the squat uh deadlift i learned like a lot from her getting into it because it's kind of like 
you can do your own research or you can just go to someone who knows. And when you go to someone who knows, it's like everyone's got an opinion on everything, sure, within a sport, but they kind of have the answers already there for you because like you can go on a forum or the internet and you can kind of misinterpret everything. But I think when it comes from a person who is already doing it, so a coach basically, especially someone who has a good measured perspective on things because there are some, there are some right, uh, what's what's the word um not imposters but it kind of means too much icing not enough cake does that sum it up (laughs) yeah kind of thing there there are some people out there who are just um they they have some strange ideas on what works and what doesn't and you can you can end up just being led down the wrong path straight away but uh no tanya's kind of methods are, are pretty measured um and always very honest and will always hold you to strict judging uh, standards yeah proper judging standards so it wasn't like you were getting smoke blown up your ass for high squats and stuff it was you know if that squats high then it's fucking high um and yeah so after a few coaching sessions with her and just picking her brain paul's brain um i was still you know thinking about bodybuilding but i said might just send her a comp um so I did. It was the it was one in Birmingham, uh, just a, a qualifier for the, for the British for the Europeans, uh, GPC uh, qualifier, and I entered that. And I just honestly thought I was just going to be shit. Um, but I deadlifted three hundred in the gym on a stiff bar at that point. So I thought that my deadlift would be good. And I just at that point I always joked about my bench because it was only fucking all. Um, I'd never gone above like 150 in the gym. Actually, maybe I'd bodybuilder pressed 160. And uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I made the mistake of trying to get to the comp on the day. Right. Um, I'd already weighed in at the gym. The, the good thing about the GPC is that they have remote weigh-ins. Okay. So you can literally weigh in 24 hours before, as is the case with GPC. Oh, I didn't you can, yeah. Um, it's the only, it's the only fed in the UK to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can you can uh, make your own way down, and you know you're ready to come be the the day after. <clears throat> so uh, I went down with this girl I was seeing at the time um, and her mate, and uh, basically th- there was a, there's the option when you go to Birmingham where you can take the toll road or not take the toll road. Um, my advice to anyone facing this option is always take the toll road uh because her mate i don't even know why her mate um see i can't say too many derogatory things about her mate because she's passed on now right. but um her mate wanted to take the toll road and i would i was there like offering did she didn't want to take the toll road i was uh like offering the money here's the money take the toll road i didn't take the toll road um it was still my fault though because we should have just set off earlier i should have just said we are setting off at fucking five o'clock, 5 a.m. or something. Yeah. But no, knowing me, I always leave things to the last minute. And uh, yeah, so uh, they were just at this wall of traffic going to Birmingham. Um, <clears throat> made, you know, made us uh, so late that I missed my squats. I was devastated, but I just said to Lee Marshall, the GPC president, when I got there, I said, look, can I just push pull? Um, I was able to, you know, change my entry to push pull. Um, so I benched 155, attempted 170, didn't get it, and um, deadlifted with three, three, uh, three, three, 0.5, which at the time was a GPC uh, British record. 
um, in the one two five class. This was open class. I was only just in the open class because I'm only twenty four, um, and I weighed in at one fifteen or something in in the one two fives. So it was it was really really promising at the mm-hmm. time. And obviously, I thought that British record was better than it actually was. It was still a GPC British record. You can't you know knock that. Um, and it was three thirty previously. So I just put the point. You could put the point five on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really good start, and honestly, that day, just oh, the feeling I got from that comp was crazy. Like I can't, I could never replicate how much I enjoyed that because it was a it was a mixture of anxiety and pure kind of joy and fun, just waiting in between attempts. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll never ever like. That's one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, so, yeah, and then um, just going from there, I mean, you know, I did, I've done a lot of comps after that, really. Uh, and that, that's how the transition went. But I suppose the transition really, the actual transition was just a few weeks after, knowing how much I love powerlifting, not knowing whether I'd really ever be any good at it, but knowing that that was probably the case with bodybuilding too, because. You know, I think bodybuilding, as much as hard work, massively, massively dictates how, how you will do uh, your ability to just be so disciplined and stuff. Um, and I definitely could have, I would have benefited, benefited from more of that, maybe some different diets and strategies to get me really, really, really lean like crisp. Um, I think that genetics play a bigger role. And like I've already mentioned, I have scoliosis. And when you look at the back door bicep or back lat spread with a scoliosis, it doesn't just doesn't look right. And I wanted eventually to compete with the best guys in the world. I wanted to win the British Championships, the uh, yeah, the UK BFF British Championships, when that was the thing to win. I wanted to turn pro, and it was going to be almost probably it was maybe a bit of an unrealistic dream with a structure which was so off or is so off. Um, you know, even when I'd got my my um, my uh, condition inside. So, um, I mean, everyone who knew said that I probably had more potential in powerlifting, but my squat and my bench was still way off. Um, but I just couldn't stop, you know, like being on YouTube and looking at powerlifting videos and, mm. um, and wanting to learn more and more and more about this sport. And one of the things that got me as well was <clears throat> I'm quite an introverted character. I don't need a lot of friends. Um, I'm naturally quite shy. Um, and because I'm not the type of person that many people approach because of the way I probably, because of my stature, the way I look, um, me being shy means that I don't approach them either. So it's kind of like this weird kind of standoff anytime, you know, it's, a, it's you know, a new situation. Um, so yeah, I, I'm an introverted character. I probably suited that in terms of bodybuilding. But I think some aspects of the bodybuilding um, social circles kind of, they just weren't for me. Yeah. Like, it's almost as if, uh, I don't know whether this was just how I interpreted it, but your popularity your popularity was determined by how good you were. Um, not like, it was kind of like a, almost a, a social circle bodybuilding where it, it was just, it's almost a little bit fake and like, you know, you, you had to be somebody and there was so much to being somebody. And, um, 
we we were all a bit weird, but it was almost like some people were like too weird. Right. It was, it was almost like a personality contest as well as a bodybuilding contest. Yeah, but I, I, I'm really struggling to, to explain it, um, but it's almost like it wasn't wasn't for me and powerlifters much nicer people mm-hmm. um the first time i got into when i got into the comp at central fitness um guy approached me in in the in, in the toilets <laughs> weirdly enough uh called dave Beatty. there's nothing untoward he was just like how are you doing oh is this your first comp blah blah blah, blah. and i was thinking and i thought this doesn't happen in bodybuilding yeah i kind of it kind of struck me as like wow that guy's really 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 nice and he is really nice but it kind of that transfers across the board in powerlifting. Like people in general are nicer. Now you can't say that bodybuilders are all you know twats or whatever. A lot of it comes down to the the calorie restricted diet that you go on when you're near to the comps. And I was the same. Like I wouldn't talk to anyone by choice, and if I did. It was almost, it was a moody, you, you wouldn't want to talk to me like, so moody, um, not great to be around my, me and my family as well, I always felt so bad, like with, you know, how I would react to, and speak to my mum and dad and stuff, you know, because I was, I was living there yeah. uh, during my bodybuilding stage, um, and that's kind of part of what made me not want to go back to it, because like now, for example, with a family, like, if I'm, you know, moody around my son or whatever, and that lasts for eight weeks. All those eight-week stages of me being like that added up over his life. It's times that you can't get back, you know what I mean? Um, taking hours and hours a day to do cardio as well. Like it's, It wasn't for me in that sense. Um, I couldn't... I couldn't not feel bad about being that selfish, and I am a bit of a naturally selfish person, but... Yeah... Yeah, I think I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, yeah, I, I and I, I totally just going back to the point that you mentioned about just noticing how friendly everyone was in powerlifting. So my first comp, um, I met a guy who then went on to compete at the Commonwealth. Right. I called Dean Dean Dibel, but also I think uh, Sam Watt as well. I think. You- oh yeah, Sam. So he was there at my first comp and the three of us shared a rack to warm up. And I'm not joking, Sam was warming up with twice as much weight as I was lifting on the day. And I had I so I had no idea who Sam was right. I met him. And he was so unbelievably nice. Um and about the fact that it was my first comp and it was like it made no difference. And it, you know, it didn't didn't really make a difference what I was lifting and what he was lifting. He was there to do a job and get numbers to go on to his next comp. Um, and I, I went and looked at his page afterwards and I was like, holy shit, I can't, I can't believe this guy was competing with us today. And, you know, everyone that I've met so far has been so down to earth. And I think it is a, it's a really nice group of people. Yeah. So I've never met Sam, but, uh, he's a really, he's, he's an amazing lifter. Yeah. He's phenomenal. Great bodybuilder too. Do you know what I mean? He, he he's, he's, he's been good at both of them. And, uh, He's he's not young either. Is he over? Is he over forty or over fifty? He's not over fifty. He's over forty. I think, I think he's masters one. Masters one. So he's yeah. over forty. Yeah, but he's, uh, he was yeah. um, he was trashing a lot of the young lifters. Oh yeah, he's all of them. Yeah, he's a, um, an incredible athlete. Yeah, kind of 
going back to what I said about about bodybuilders being a certain way, I, I kind of feel I have to reiterate that it's not all bodybuilders like that. Like I'm not just trying to like save what I was saying just because you mentioned Sam there, but obviously we all know people who the bodybuilders who are super nice and super normal. Yeah. Um, but I don't feel like I ever fitted in in bodybuilding. Yeah. yeah. Never made that many friends uh, as such. Yeah. Um, and in powerlifting, it just seemed a million times easier. A million yeah. times. No, it's, it's an important thing to make sure you get an eye your sport as well, that you feel like you're kind of at home there. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you kind of had that almost like euphoric feeling in your first competition. Yeah. Um, but what, what are some of the... I guess some of the highs and lows that you've experienced since. Okay, that's a really good question. Um, that's quite a big, open-ended question, but oh yeah, I'll probably go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the other biggest high in powerlifting has been going to the GPC Euros, the first one I ever went to in uh, Trutnov, Czech Republic. <clears throat> so, very short notice. Um, Andy Saunders messaged me and said, would you like to be on the European team? And obviously I had kind of um, a bit of a skewed view because I felt like this was a big, it was like, felt like you were going to the Olympics or whatever. Yeah. It's not quite as big in powerlifting because the qualifying totals are a little bit lower. But I mean, this was before I'd even put a total together and Andy said this. So I really appreciated me getting an invite before I'd even put a squat on the platform. You know? That's um, man. <clears throat> hey, that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't have qualified. I don't think if I hadn't have gone and done a meet and done a squat. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, going to Toronto, it was just, that was an amazing experience too. Um, because I kind of booked it last minute. Uh, went over to Prague, um, to start off with, cause you have to get a train from Prague to Toronto. Um, saw a little bit of the city. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, beautiful city but i didn't get to see that much of it and then got this big three-hour train ride over to trutnov which is like a little town um over in the i want to say east side of uh, east side of uh czech republic i believe um and it was just great the whole experience i met uh, martin brown out there i met uh my good mate of a few years and now coach andy smith um God, I'm, uh, Delroy McQueen was there, didn't talk to him much, but, you know, uh, met him out over there, a guy called Chris Jenkins, absolute legend, such a funny guy, such a funny fucking guy. Um, yeah, and and also, you know, I came second in that in that comp at the Euros, got silver. There was a, there was a huge gap between first and second. Right. Uh, if you, if you get a chance after this, look up a guy called Sergei Moser from Germany. Um, he's a bodybuilder and he's a powerlifter. He totaled nine forty-five that day in the one in the one to two five class, and that was before people were totaling like a thousand. You know, yeah. maybe a couple of people had done it, a few people had done it in the world, maybe. Um, but that was when it was kind of like top fifteen, top twenty on the all-time list. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like me and him, and it was it was just it that was amazing, just that time away because like, I had no responsibilities either at that point, um, like none. Um, so it was just kind of like, yeah, fuck off on a plague plane to, to Prague and then Trutnov and just go and do what you want. And it was cool. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good thing about like international comps as well. I think a lot of people are doing, <clears throat> a lot of people are doing, uh, only the invitational comps, so they won't get around as much, 
but I feel like sometimes as well, like maybe doing, you know, the worlds. I'm not talking to IPF athletes here because the worlds and the Europeans are still your gold standard of competitions that yeah, you, yeah. you will go and do if you get an invite, regardless. But a lot of the untested guys in the WPC and GPC, they're not going around the world and stuff mm-hmm. because they're sticking to the invitational comps because they are the biggest comps. Um, so like, they're missing out on like sorry, pro roar and kern and stuff like that. Yeah, pro roar and kern. But at the same time, they're amazing comps to do. Mm. But um, all I mean is there are world championships and stuff being held in like all these different obscure countries each year. Um, and I think the only thing that you might miss out on if you don't do these Europeans and worlds and stuff is you might not get to see as much of the world. Yeah. But of course, if you do go to Pro Raw, you're going to get to see Australia. If you go to Kern, you're going to get to see America. So it's not like you're going to stay in your backyard. But, you know, um, <clears throat> I know there are probably some lifters who do the Worlds every year and they don't care if it's not quite as competitive as the invitational meets because it's more about the experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, having said that, the next international I'm doing is. Well, actually, it's going to be the, the hopefully the WRPF in uh, Russia at the end of the year. Okay, but I do hope to do Pro Raw next year too. So, okay. yeah. So, what on the other side of things? What have been some of the some of the challenges that you faced? <clears throat> so, either like Challenge. on or off the platform. Um, I would say like I didn't really have. I wouldn't say I had any injuries in powerlifting. Nothing. Okay, there have been minor stuff like pec tweaks and stuff, little pec yeah. tears. Um, but I'd say that the, the biggest thing I've battled with constantly has been my knees. Right. Uh, you've probably heard me moan about that once or twice. <laughs> I have uh, tendonitis in them. Um, and it came on like towards like the middle of my bodybuilding stage. Um, just And it was squats specifically that aggravated it. Uh, I believe that probably through my bodybuilding, I built up quite a quad dominance. Right through doing maybe just through doing loads and loads of quad uh, quad uh, related exercises and um, you know like hack squats, leg extension, things like this, um, and not paying attention to the core element. So I think like maybe when I squatted, my quads grabbed on really really hard uh, because my core wasn't able to stabilize. Maybe things like that. There are, Lots of theories on it. Maybe too much, you know, sitting down too much is going to make your rec fems tight and your quads tight. Loads of things could contribute. But um, yeah, it's like every time I squat, really, um, my quads take a massive beating and it causes a lot of uh, tightness on the, the quad and patella tendons. Um, luckily, my coach and I, my coach is a rehab guy too. That's what his degree is in. Yeah. Um, we're working on that. So a lot of things like slow eccentrics on the squat. Um, Things like reverse Nordics as an exercise to strengthen the lengthened position of the of the hip flexors. Um, I what else are we doing? Um, I've got a stretch a lot. I've got a foam roll a lot. Um, they tend to help, um, obviously, uh, to get any edge on it possible. Um, taking uh, the the joint product that Strom do support max joint. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be adding a piece to the puzzle too. Just so I'm attack. I'm just attacking it from like every different angle, trying to get these knees better. Like there's no. I don't think there's any lasting damage that's been done, but it's <clears throat> just a combination of, of really just try to get trying to be able to train through it, but also being able to just eradicate it once and for all to the point where I can squat pain through free because I believe 
I will be so much better at squatting once I can do that. Like my, I reckon I'll put like, if I could just magically be pain-free now, I reckon I could put like 50 kilos on my squat just because I'll be able to tolerate the training and yeah. not have that mental block, you know? Um, other kind of setbacks, um, had quite a... It wasn't like a life-threatening injury or anything, but it was quite a severe setback. Um, I was deadlifting one day, probably around the end of 2015, right. or like the beginning part of 2016. Felt like a bit of a pull in my glute or uh, like, like lower back on the right. Anyway, carried on through the session, but then my spinal erectors and everything, they were just so spasmed. It was sending like um, a shock down the, the my lower back. Right. I was trying to front squat as my accessory. Um, and I think what had happened was I just ex- uh, I'd compressed my SI joint on that side really badly. Right. I'd strained it or, or something. I'd done something to that. It was ridiculously painful for days after. Like I was limping and stuff. Um, but that affected my strength for probably six months. And then it, I, I went to the Euros and despite the fact that I'd squatted three, I think I'd squatted three or five at that point. Um, I couldn't get past 280 at the Euros, uh, like three months after. Right. Still being inhibited. Um, despite the fact that I'd deadlifted like 340 in competition, I couldn't get past 310 at the Euros. So that was a bit of a setback that year. Um, it literally affected my strength on my lower body a lot. Um, and then by the British, it, it just kind of magically came back. You know, I just yeah. let it heal enough and maybe did enough rehab work. Um, <clears throat> I did another version of that a couple of years later, but it wasn't as bad. It was okay. on the other side. Um, yeah, I think, and then I've had problems with my pec. Um, both pecs, actually. I've had little tweaks and tears in them, um, which would just set me back a few weeks at a time. Um, and obviously those weeks add up if you never get it sorted out, like, figure out why you keep having these little twinges and tears in your pecs. Yeah. Um, but my, uh, my, my new coach, again, being a rehab guy and being like, I've got to give him his credit. Like as much as I hate to kiss his ass constantly, because <laughs> he, he doesn't need it. Right. Um, <laughs> he, he's just so intelligent and he's so astute and, um, and, he picks out the fine details so well. Um, just sent him a video randomly the other day. I don't even know why I sent him the video, but he said, touch a bit higher, please. And um, so I was touching, you know, down kind of at the top of my abs, really, yeah. um, on bench press, on wide grip bench. And uh, so I touched a bit higher. And then looking at it afterwards, it was like, touching low like that, like almost like an equipped bench, which I didn't even realize I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to put a lot more strain on the upper pec, um, on the uh, on the clavicular fibers, on the clavicular fibers of the pec. Yeah. And that might have been what we tore. And it's like, fucking hell, like these things that, they just, these little light bulb moments, I love them because it's as if like you've been trying everything else and everything else and someone says this, or you just stumble across this and you're like, yeah, that's it. And then you look at everyone else's videos and they're all, they're all uh, touching right just below the pec line. And you've been touching like an equip lifter for ages without even realizing you were doing it. Um, so hopefully, because I've tried this new touching point now for a couple of weeks and there've been no strains, no kind of little, you know, like it might happen again. <clears throat> so yeah, I think that covers the setbacks. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think I've luckily I don't I don't think anything's really ever happened financially or in terms of my personal life which has set me back um everything's been pretty stable which I'm I'm grateful for you know what I mean yeah absolutely do do you think there's any um you know any risks that you that you have to navigate in terms of competing in powerlifting obviously there's you know we spoke about injury but you know is there is there anything else that kind of jumps to mind that you've you've had to I guess deal with over the years other than injury like briefly touch on it obviously you know any something can happen in a split second when you're doing a squat a deadlift or a bench press and at the worst case it can end your life you know what I mean um we we've uh you hear about people having, you know, dropping the bar on the chest. Um, and there was one guy I read about punching a lung. Uh, he, um, he did something anyway. Oh no, no, no. He ruptured his diaphragm. Mm-hmm. Died. You know what I mean? Um, I have friend Martin Brown. I'm sure he won't mind me talking about this, but, uh, he's now got Carter Aquina syndrome, Carter Aquina syndrome. So that's, um, the compression of the nerves at the very bottom of your back. And, uh, his life has completely changed. He was in a wheelchair for a few months. He was paralyzed very temporarily. He can't power lift now to the full, you know, to a full extent. He could probably bench, but it's had other knock-on effects to his life. And um, people like Brandon Lilly, double quad tears, like that is debilitating. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, other risks. Um, obviously, I think the, the, the main one is your health. Um, and on the untested side of things, PEDs if you're not sensible, performance enhancing drugs. Um, I use performance enhancing drugs. I use steroids. Um, and I think, I think a lot of the time you, they, they seemingly to some, to some people just don't have any side effects or any that make it look like a person is going to die soon. You know what I mean? And I guess most of the time, the vast majority of the time, that's going to be right. Um, but I don't think they're without risks. Um, I think that, they could, they could potentially shorten your life indirectly. You know what I mean? Obviously, if something puts your blood pressure up, that's you know that's more cardiovascular risk, definitely. Um, you know, if if something, um, sorry, I've lost my I've lost my train of thought there, but um, yeah, just uh, you know, it's. They do have risks to them, you know what I mean? Um, impacts on, on the liver, things like that. Uh, and, you know, other, other things such as hormonal suppression. Um, if you don't know how to, to navigate the whole kind of steroid use thing correctly, you put an exogenous hormone into your body, um, a hormone from outside into your body, and then stop using it. Your endogenous production, your own production is going to be halted. So you use testosterone for long enough, the body stops producing it, and now you have no testosterone. So that can lead to depression, low mood, erectile dysfunction, all these things. It can fuck your life up as a man. Do you know what I mean? If if you don't know how to um, you know, do do the PCT properly, post-cycle therapy, and even then, you know, there are there are debates that post-cycle therapy will never get you back to normal. It probably won't to be fair. It might get you back into the normal range but it might not get you back to where you were. So a lot of guys these days are doing what's called blast and cruise, which is where you stay on in between on a very small amount. But again, a lot of the guys aren't actually 
cruising properly. They're using an amount which will keep them at a super physiological level. I just learned this recently, actually, yeah. that guys are cruising on still too much, even if it's like 250 a week. It should be lower than that if you're trying to actually mimic the hormones of an average male. Um, so I've started going more in that direction, using a lot less or a lot less frequent uh, dosages on my cruise mm-hmm. um, just so that I can maintain a compromise and keep my uh, the, the levels in my body low enough so that health is prioritized whilst maintaining a normal uh, test level in between courses. Um, but yeah, of course, I think that not all stereotypes are the same also. So it's not like saying steroids have this risk. No, there are lots of different types of steroids. There are safer cycles and less safe cycles, obviously. With with the increase in dosages becomes an increase in side effects, uh, increase in you know the harshness of some steroids. You use certain more harsh ones and you will increase side effects that way. You know what I mean? So um, you do have to be careful. And I think the main way of being careful is getting your blood work done regularly. Um, if you know someone local to you who who will do your blood work work or you can go to do use medichecks uh some site like that some uh some service like that so yeah um there are risks and like for me at the minute to be quite honest when i go on to my cruise dosage my lower dosage what i'm noticing now is like the problems that i have on my skin are just so annoying do you know what i mean mm. um around 2016 it never used to happen now, i've used steroids for a long time never used to happen but i started getting like acne like really annoying aggressive cystic acne breakouts all over all right. over my body um like my arms and legs and stuff and i'm thinking what the fuck is happening um so at the minute i'm trying to sort that out um trying to see if it's a hormonal thing uh, which it probably is there's probably something that's out of whack uh, but then when i go onto a higher dosage it goes away and it's like great but i can't just use a higher dosage yeah all the time because then that's that's literally really that's not sensible you know so yeah i think in a way that kind of sums up the risks and um i don't think there's any such thing as a free ride or free lunch or whatever the fucking saying is um so i think i don't think steroids are the worst drug in the world definitely not and i think that they're sensationalized by a lot of media corporations um in order to sell a good story but at the same time i think people should be less blase when taking them definitely I think it uh, it really comes down to, I guess you know understanding, you know all these risks that you that you take in a sport, and you know for people that don't know, <clears throat> powerlifting is separated off into tested and untested federations. So it is a little it's a little different in how it works in both of them. Obviously, um, you don't have that risk. Well, you shouldn't have that risk in a tested federation. No, some, you shouldn't. Some people do, um, but yeah, I, I guess it's it's kind of about navigating them and then you know as an adult you have to make that choice whether you want to do that or not and you know taking taking the long-term picture into account too um so i was always the thing is with me i was always fascinated by the freaks when i was bodybuilding when i started bodybuilding i think i always wanted to be a freak you know what i mean and the guy who i looked to getting into bodybuilding was arnold started taking the steroids when he was 16 yeah i got told as well that if i wanted to be on the olympia stage i would have to start taking them young probably a very irresponsible thing to say to a 16 year old um but you know i made my own decisions um and and yeah like i think i was always going to take them i always was as much as i'm very 
conservative and a little bit sensible in other areas of life. Like, I don't know, just the idea of like something that can, you know, add 10% onto everything and just like, I wonder what this does. Do you know what I mean? Like I was always going to like mess around with that possibility. Like, Oh, this, Oh, let's try this. Let's see what, you know, let's see what the results of this are just as a bit of an experiment. Yeah. And I, what's, so what's like looking at all of this, you know, you've got the, obviously the, the big highs, but then you, you're weighing up some of the, the potential risks going into a sport like powerlifting and, and training and competing in it. And I, I think one of the things that a lot of people have, have got a lot from is listening to why people do it in the first place and also why, why you keep doing it. So what's the motivation to keep going with it for you? Ooh, I have kind of struggled with this one for a couple of, a couple of years now. Like, um, I just re- finished um, listening to an audio book. I won't say I read it because I didn't read it. Um, makes well, me sound a bit more thick, but still. <laughs> the chimp, the chimp paradox. Have yes. you have you have you heard of that one? Is that um, Stephen Peters or that's a guy? Yeah, yeah. He for anyone looking at reading, at getting the audio book, think again because Stephen Peters fucking hell, his voice is annoying. I don't <laughs> even know where his accent's from, but he pronounces human human ah, oh, human the human and it, he says it all the way through the book because it's a human and the chimp so it's the human and the chimp fucking hell but anyway um yeah i just finished reading that and a lot of it is basically your chimp is kind of your ego isn't it um and the whole premise of the book is is trying to trying to eliminate the input from your chimp, from your ego, um, from that kind of childish mindset of um, comparison to others, things like that, and um, relating your self-worth just to winning and what you have, et cetera, et cetera. And I've always felt that I've done better in powerlifting when I've competed just against myself. Mm-hmm. And I've not been bothered what other people are doing on the day, not been bothered by the result. And a lot of that was down to the fact that it, I'd, sometimes entered less competitive competitions. Um, when I did that stint in the BPU, um, because no one was doing bare knee stuff, I was pretty much one of the only guys, but I was doing it just to save a bit of time training and not put wraps on. But I progressed a lot because I was just kind of like, I was just trying to progress and I didn't care about anyone else. Um, and recently, because I've started entering the more competitive competitions, I'll be honest, like I did get um, very sucked into wanting to beat people yeah. and worrying about what other people were doing. And I honestly think my results probably went down as a result, as a result of that. And um, the way I see it, the, the only way that you, the only thing you can actually do is your, your personal best. Um, once your performance starts being dictated by someone else, you start losing because everything's controlled by them then, not by you. Um, if you have a certain amount of potential, reaching that potential is the best you can possibly do. Um, and if that dictates that you become best in the world, then it dictates that you become best in the world. Um, so obviously I got into powerlifting cause I enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't like look at the best guy ever and go, right, he's a guy I want to beat because I was just so far away from that. Um, I knew I had a talent for it, which became, it made it, did make it become fun and doing well at something makes it fun. But also just that feeling of getting better 
over a, a period of time um, is is what makes it fun. Those little personal bests are honestly what I enjoy more about it. And of course, you can't replace the experiences you have either. You know, like I spoke about, you know, that the Euros and Trotnov like didn't win, but you know, it was such a a great experience. It wasn't a holiday. It was a competition, but I just loved the whole thing about it. Uh, of course, I want to be successful in powerlifting, but more so than being successful, I want to achieve my own potential. I want to get everything right every day that I can without overstepping boundaries that I'm not willing to go past, i.e. health-wise, to do that, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I enjoy you know, being jacked. Um, I enjoy you know, having a certain element of leanness to my seat physique that's come from the bodybuilding days that's transferred from the bodybuilding days. So I don't think I would ever do something like, Oh, I'm going to get up to 160 kilos. I don't give a fuck what I look like. I just want to lift big weights. That's never going to be me. I'm always going to be a one, two, five guy. My coach is pushing me to get to 130, which I'm happy about, but we try to do that with a good body composition. So, um, yeah, that in a nutshell, that it's, it is all linked to self-improvement. I love competition, but I will win those competitions based on the fact that I've tried to achieve my own potential. I think that's a probably the the one of the best things that someone considering going into powerlifting or doing their first comp could hear. Actually, um, it's it's similar to some advice I got right from the very off about you know the way that you view competitions, and I think that's a really you know a really important message for for anyone who's maybe you know, early on or kind of on the fence would, you know, should they, shouldn't they do it? Um, yep. what, a, what a powerful lesson to take from it as well. Yeah. And I mean, I would add to that when you're doing your first powerlifting competition, don't even think of it as a competition. Like it's not like that, you know, yourself, Jack, like it's like in bodybuilding, right? If someone got up on the stage and they look like absolute shit, it kind of happens that maybe some people in the audience will have a bit of a giggle and maybe it's like, right, this guy just isn't ready for bodybuilding. He needs, he shouldn't have got up on stage. And that is kind of the reality of it. Um, because you are, you do kind of need to meet a certain standard to look right. But in powerlifting, it's not like that. It, I honestly believe that no one's judging you um, for not being good enough. It doesn't matter what weight you lift. Um, I think it's actually more important to go to the um, to adhere to the referee's standards. To be honest, yeah, massively. Get the white lights. It's not about the way that you lift the first time. Definitely not. I think um, one thing that I really noticed in, in the first one I did was that everyone got the same applause from the crowd. Granted, Sam Sam pulled the record on his last deadlift, so that got a bit more applause. But yeah, but literally every single other lift, the whole crowd was behind everyone, whether it was. I don't know, 20 kilos on the bar or 220 kilos on the bar. Everyone was behind it. And I think that's a, that's a really cool thing about the sport. Do you, yeah. do you think there's any other big lessons that you've taken from, from all of this, from bodybuilding, from powerlifting that you, you kind of have found really useful over the years? Um, wow. That's a really, really good question. I'd love to say like a lot of people do that. Oh, it's made me so much dis more disciplined than other things. Probably not. It's probably taken away from other things massively. Mm -hmm. um, but to be honest, I think it's probably more taught me about what type of person I am, 
to yeah. be honest. Um, it's not. I don't think it's really aided me in other areas of my life. Unless without this, I would have done something really um, counterproductive to my life. That this has saved me from something. I don't know. Um, I think it's taught me that I'm an individual. I'm a very individual person. I like individual sports. Um, powerlifting being powerlifting and bodybuilding both being sports which caters to introverts. I think it's taught me that about myself. It's taught me that I like structure. I like being disciplined and having a purpose, something, a goal to go for. And that if I'm given the right thing in front of me, then I am very driven. In other ways, I'm quite honestly very lazy. Um, but if I'm given the right thing, I will go after it and I will obsess after it. Um, so yeah, it has, it has taught me those things about myself. Um, I think eventually I think I will be able to transfer it over to other things, but it's kind of not always as easy as other people will make it sound. But it's all part of the, uh, all part of the journey of self-development. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So just to finish on then, um, what, what's the kind of the next thing on the horizon because i know you just said how important goals are to you and you you briefly mentioned was it competing at pro roars kind of the next yeah. you want to be shooting for so um, what's kind of in your headlights right now right now because we're uh during this lockdown period with covid19 i've kind of come around to the idea that i'm not i'm not too bothered about competing mm -hmm. immediately um in theory, it's the BPF British on the 13th to 16th of August. That's already been rescheduled to them. Yeah. That will qualify me for the WRPF Worlds, which are in Russia, which I really want to do. Yeah. Um, Is that more for the comp itself or for the experience of going to Russia to compete? It's Despite bad. everything I've just said, the original goal was to, I want to win a Worlds in sleeves. And that's really the only one to me which stands out as being competitive. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I want to, even if I am just lifting kind of for me, so to speak, I still want to do it on the biggest stages with the most pressure because then it's another element of challenging yourself, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would like to achieve a good result there. Um, but even but in between those two comps, BPF British and the WRPF Worlds, is uh, the GPC Pro Show at uh, Fit expo in okay. Liverpool on the 26th and 27th of September so I I know a couple of guys involved in 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 the Fit expo and in you know the GPC pro um it's uh the guy who runs the Fit expo is called Darren Nally um and Richard Foster from Strom has uh has an involvement in that too so for that reason so that this can go on. I really want that to happen. You know what I mean? Um, I want those guys to have their expo and their stands and whatnot go on. Um, and it'd be nice for the pro show to happen and stuff. It's not a hundred percent that it will happen. None of us know, none yeah. of us know for certain. So all I'm thinking to myself is like, look, if I have to do another six months, nine months of volume work, then I'll do it because I feel like my training's just started to jump up a little bit. All the place, all the, uh, changes that Andy Smith put in place um, with all this, where it's just starting to work. I'm starting to get a little bit stronger now. Yeah. Um, 
my knees have not got any worse uh, despite the loads that are increasing on them. Um, in fact, they probably got a bit better. And uh, so it's just starting to be encouraging. So maybe, you know, all that time out and to do those exact comps, but a bit later, um, you know, I'd, to do the GPC Pro, but if it had to be later, then so be it. You know, I mean, I'm enjoying just getting better and I'm just at the minute very privileged to be able to train in my garage like we said at the start, not everyone has that privilege right now because not everyone bought stuff before this happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of on the horizon for me um, in theory. And then obviously Pro Raw 2021 is the one I definitely want to aim at and that we can almost guarantee will happen uh, with you know with all the lockdown stuff because it's far enough into the future. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, if it's not whether the lockdown is lifted and mass gatherings are allowed, it's more will the promoters put these comps on given the fact that not everyone's had a chance to train for them. Yeah. Um, but I've heard that the you know Fit Expo uh, has a 95%, 95% certain chance that it will go on. So in my mind, the GPC Pro is still happening, but you know if it doesn't, then I'll just fucking carry on doing volume work. Yeah. That's just carry on getting better the advantage of having a garage gym right now isn't it yeah absolutely yeah well look mate thank you so much for uh, for coming on it's been really really good to chat to you um and you know great to get more of a more of an insight into your story as well um because a lot a lot of that's the first time we've spoke about you know like how you first got into it and your first comps and stuff like that so it's been really interesting for me to hear about all that too thank you mate, and i've really enjoyed it um yeah, I really have. Thank you. Glad. And just to, to finish on, if people want to come and find where you're at, where's the best place for them to come and find you? Um, I would probably, as a as a powerlifter, uh, at Big Alexander Clark on Instagram. Um, and probably more so if you could follow British Strength Magazine, at British Strength Magazine on Instagram. And listen um, to the podcast as well because it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, listen to British Strength Radio. It's on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Um, and also and also you can find all those links at BritishStrengthMagazine.com where you can subscribe to British Strength Magazine too. So yeah, definitely check the British Strength Magazine stuff out. Even if you don't check me out, I'd, that's that's what I'd be more uh, happy for. Great. And I'll, uh, I'll include all those links in the description as well. Thank you very much, pal. Great talking to you. I hope you will. Cheers, man. So I just wanted to finish this one up by saying please go and look at Alex's page on Instagram, that's Big Alexander Clark, and also have a look at British Strength Magazine and British Strength Radio. Alex has had some phenomenal guests on his podcast, some of the best lifters from around the world, and for anyone who's interested, even in the slightest in powerlifting, it is an absolute essential in my eyes. So please go check him out, go check out all his stuff because he puts out some fantastic content and go and support his podcast and British Strength Magazine as well as giving this a like, a share, a review if you enjoyed it as well.